0: Pastor Matthew Steinfeld, and you're more than welcome to be with us this morning, and we welcome you in the blessing and hope of Christ. Our first hymn this morning is a favorite of mine, hymn number 341, Amazing Grace. If you would stand and sing with us, please. Let us draw near to God our Father with a true heart to confess our sins and ask him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Father of all mercies cleanse us from our sins and restore us in his image to the praise and glory of his name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Blessed is the Lord for he has heard the voice of our prayer. Therefore shall our heart dance for joy, and in our song we will praise our God. Our responsive reading this morning comes from Psalm 18. I'll read the odd verses and we'll read the even verses together. I love you, Lord my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Our second hymn this morning is number 78, Great is Thy Faithfulness, hymn 7-8. Uh
1: job chapter 33 verses 12 through 28 but i tell you in this you are not right for god is greater than any mortal why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words for god does speak now one way now another though no one perceives it in a dream in a vision of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they slumber in their beds he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings, to turn them from wrongdoing and keep them from pride, to preserve them from the pit, their lives from perishing by the sword. Or someone may be chastened on a bed of pain with constant distress in their bones, so that their body finds food repulsive and their soul loathes the choicest meal, their flesh wastes away to nothing, and their bones, once hidden, Now stick out. They draw near to the pit, and their life to the messengers of death. Yet if there is an angel at their side, a messenger, one out of a thousand, sent to tell them how to be upright, and he is gracious to that person, and says to God, Spare them from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom for them. Let their flesh be renewed like a child's. Let them be restored, as in the days of their youth then that person can pray to God and find favor with him. They will see God's face and shout for joy. He will restore them to full well-being. And they will go to others and say, I have sinned, I have perverted what is right, but I did not get what I deserved. God has delivered me from going down to the pit, and I shall live to enjoy the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from the Book of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 21 to 28. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. "'Never, Lord,' he said this shall never happen to you jesus turned to peter jesus turned and said to peter get behind me Satan you are a stumbling block to me you do not have in mind the concerns of god but merely human concerns then jesus said to his disciples whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The sermon reading is from Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 12 through 20. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the raptors sag because of idle hands the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter, wine makes life merry, and money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts, or curse the rich in your bedroom, because a bird in the sky may carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, sir. Ecclesiastes at face value comes across as a bit bleak and fatalistic. One of the things that repeats throughout the letter of the book is this phrase, "Everything under the sun." "Under the sun means things on the world, in the world on earth." Which leaves the fatalistic perspective or the the bleak outlook to be everything outside of heaven. Which means that there is actually motivation to live and to speak in ways that have meaning, there's value to what we do. Only if we keep that phrase under heaven implies that there is something out of this world that is worth living for. Today, in this passage, in chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, I want to share a few things. Two main things. The first is our words demonstrate who our God is. Our words demonstrate who our God is. And second, our work reveals who we worship. Our work reveals who we worship. Starting in verse 12, he says, The words of the wise, the sage, the skilled, the educated, are gracious. This word's often related to beauty, observing beauty. It's full of mercy. The words of the wise are gracious, gracious, But the fool, the stupid person, literally, their lips, their speech destroy. For the writer here, which many believe to be Solomon, there's two results in the way that we speak. The ways that our words demonstrate who our God is. The results are we can either bless others or we destroy ourselves. Oftentimes, we think that we can bless ourselves by our speech. People call this bragging. Or we can tear down others, maybe to make ourselves feel superior or better. But the writer here says that we can either bless others or destroy ourselves because the words of the wise are gracious, but the fool's are. Words destroy them, consume them. And it doesn't stop there for the fool. Verse 13 says that it starts with folly, and it ends with evil madness. There's this depiction of raving, evil, progression. And we've seen this in other parts of the Bible, specifically in Luke. Out of the heart pours forth speech. Or another way, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also, Matthew 12, and interpreted Matthew 15. It's in Ezekiel, it's in the Proverbs, that how we speak is a reflection of what's inside. Or in other words, our words demonstrate who our God is. Our words will often go down a progression that ends in madness if it begins with folly and it multiplies. Verse 14, words multiply. Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you knew was arrogant? There's often attempts to say too much, maybe to explain what they said previously in order to keep it going. I find sometimes when I'm saying something and I know that I caught myself in saying something wrong, I tend to pat it with more words to maybe explain myself. It's arrogance. But we have the question of, okay, if if the author is telling us that we should speak words that bless others, otherwise it destroys ourself. We have the question of, why shouldn't I brag? I have the right to say whatever I want. Why can't I say words that may cause me to look well as well? And we do have that right, but it demonstrates what we believe. If our words don't have grace, It's often a reflection that we don't feel like we've received grace. And if we destroy other people with our words, it demonstrates that we really aren't happy with ourselves. When we judge others, it appears in our own hearts. So the text says that our hearts are full of judgment against us. Our words can destroy ourselves. Our words demonstrate who our God is, but our works also reveal who we worship. He says in verse 15 the toil of fools wearies them. The fruit of the labor of those who are unwise causes them to be tired, causes them to be worn out. He says that they're lost after work. They don't know the way back to town. They leave town. They go outside of the city center and they, and they work maybe in the fields. And, and the, the metaphor is, is that their work is so lost that they can't make it back to town. They're disoriented. Our work reveals who we worship. Good, honest work refreshes the soul. Yes, it causes us to be tired. It causes us to be fatigued at the end of the day, but it should bring joy and peace. If we work for the right reasons, if we serve for the right reasons, if it's not about us, if it's not about accumulating wealth, if it's not about becoming superior to other people, work brings clarity. And he goes on, he says in verse 16, woe to the land with a, a servant or slave, or sometimes it's translated or as a child, for a king. In Ecclesiastes and in Jewish scripture, there's, there's often a depiction of a king that's wise. Now, we, obviously rulers, people with absolute power, especially in the modern world, are demonized. For good reason, there's many examples of Of despots who get in control of countries or areas of land and they are malevolent. But in the the text, oftentimes in the Christian text and Jewish writings, there's a picture of a noble king, that he's from noble birth and he is right and just and he is benevolent. So he says, "'Woe to the king with a servant or a child for a king, and princes who feast in the morning.'" The picture is a child who serves is immature. Children often speak foolishly. They often have a, a low view of work and value in what they do in life. It's more, they're more accustomed to relaxation. Princes who feast in the morning are delusional. Feast represents celebration. It represents partaking of that which you've worked for. A child prince hasn't accomplished anything. There's a a sense of entitlement, maybe even a victimhood. Woe to the land with a child for a king. Because our work reveals who we worship. If we're led by people who ultimately want to serve themselves, then it's going to have an effect on us. Yes, he's speaking about a king, and many of us probably will never be royal status, but what is our perspective of our work? Are we entitled? Do we see our work as drudgery? Do we see it? As something we dread on Monday morning. What's our perspective of our work? Our work reveals who we worship. So he says a king who is noble at birth. And he's he's assuming this, this stance of this noble king. They eat at the proper time. They know the purpose of their work and they know the purpose of their blessings. Their blessings are functional. He says for strength, not drunkenness. As opposed to the person who works for power, they want to use that power. If person who wants, works only for money, they want to use that money for themselves. It's the same way that, that he says in verse 12 that the wise want to bless, but the fool wants to ultimately serve oneself and it consumes him or her. But the noble king uses the blessings of God for work, for service, for war, when they defend the innocent that, that they are over, not for indulgence. They use their blessings for the benefit of others, not for excess, not to hoard riches. Our work reveals who we worship. But the lazy, they know what needs to be done, but their, their house, the text says in 18, their house falls into disrepair. Idle hands cause the house to leak. The willingness to do what is necessary to do the work that they have at hand. They don't see it valuable. They don't see what they do in the world as important, and therefore they face the consequences. And this is what this leads to. When he says that it starts with folly and ends with madness. Verse 17, at first glance, it seems that he is prescribing these things. A feast for laughter. Wine makes merry. Money is the answer for everything. Wow, taking that out of context would seem to suggest something totally different than the teachings of Jesus. But this is the answer for the fool. This is the answer for the child prince. If I'm not happy, I'm going to throw a feast and conjure up some sense of joy. If I'm sad, if I'm depressed, I'm going to drink to cover up temporarily what... I feel now. And boy, if I have enough money, if I'm the child of a king, I have enough money and power and ability and resources to cover up my problems. That's the perspective of the lazy person who who allows their house to fall into disrepair. Idle hands causes leaks. Leaks. Fighting the symptoms of our lives instead of the problem. Cheap answers, quick fixes. Our work and our behavior reveal who we worship. Where does that lead the Christian? Our faith and our blessings in Christ have been given to us freely for us to bless others. If we hold them to ourselves, they die. Not that they go away, but they cease to be powerful. If we come here and worship God and claim the blessings of Christ through His death and resurrection, and yet we speak to others as if we want to build ourselves up, we destroy ourselves. It goes against what we believe. If we go to work and we start to fall into the ways of the world to where it's about money and it's about prestige and it's about building oneself up, the text says that there's destruction. And if, if this is Solomon writing this, he knows better than anyone who took it to the full extent of excess extremely rich, extremely successful, had all the women that he could want, had all the drinks, all the parties, all the the gardens and the castles, everything that probably the average person wants or wish they had, and yet his answer is looking back at us and saying, give it away. Not because you want to appear moral, But because of the blessings of God through Christ. Now, from our perspective, looking back at the gospel, it's what we're made for under the sun. Everything under the sun is meaningless. But if we look from the perspective from above the sun, from God's perspective, there's great meaning. There's great meaning in the words that you say to people because your words will demonstrate who you worship. They'll demonstrate who your God is. If your words are blessing, it might suggest that you are coming from a place of blessing yourself. You've received blessing from Christ, and so you feel the freedom to bless other people. And your work and what you do and what you toil for If you find your work tiring and you're stressed and you don't see the value of it, maybe you dread it on a Monday morning, you might be missing your purpose. You might be missing why God has you in that job. You might be misunderstanding that you have been sent to bless other people. Our work should bring joy, not angst, not dread, not a fear of Mondays. Lastly, these two things, our words and our work, they're a litmus test. We should read these words and reflect on our lives to see if we pass. And the thing is, is that if we look hard enough, and and I find for myself, it doesn't take that long to look. Maybe even in the last twenty-four hours, to fail in my words and my actions. Now I could take that in some religious way and say, "Well, I'm going to do better next time," or I could say, "Oh, well, I had a reason for that. I I had the right to say what I said. I had the right to have that perspective." But the real response should be, yes, I failed. And that's exactly why I need a Savior. That's exactly for why Christ came. Because Jesus says, out of the heart pours forth speech. But at the same time, he says, I've come as the physician to heal the sick. He acknowledges that what comes out of the heart is evil. But he doesn't just come to judge. He comes to raise us up with him and say, you have been washed clean. You have been blessed in Christ. Not because of your perfection. Not because you can pass this test. But because he passed the test. And God valued and respected and honored Jesus so much that he freely blesses us when he could have come to earth and just blessed himself. He saw it as destruction if he came to brag. He saw it as destruction if he was born in some castle on the mountain of David. Came to a manger, humble. Why? Because he knew where his true blessing was, above the sun, not under it. What's your perspective this morning? It's not too late. You can look back and say, i failed over and over and over these tests of words and work. My God is myself. I worship the world. I failed. We sing these songs, amazing grace. Great is thy faithfulness because his mercy is infinite. And it washes our infinite failures. Verse 20, he says, don't speak against the king. That's the righteous king that's that's ruling rightly. Or the rich, or supposedly someone who's worked their life to achieve what they have received. Don't speak against them. It will get back to them eventually. It will reveal that you're a hypocrite. If we judge the successful, in this this case, the righteous successful, it shows that we're jealous, it shows that we're insecure, it shows that we're envious, it shows that we want what they have because we feel that we are righteous enough to receive it. Ultimately, if we judge the king, we will be judged. When you apply these tests to your own life, to your own righteousness, to your own words and to your own work and you find that you fail, be careful not to judge other people to bring them down to your level. The grace of Christ should compel us not to wallow or to be sad or have despair about our state, but to turn to Him freely and to confess. And that confession gives us joy That confession gives us a perspective that we don't have to speak about ourselves in order to improve our standing in our communities. But that we can use our words to bless. And we know that if we don't use our words to bless, that ultimately the words are vanity, as the writer says. And it destroys us. Our words reveal who our God is. Our work reveals who we worship. If we leave this place and say, yes, the gospel is nice, but I'm going to go to work and I'm going to get mine and I'm going to secure my standing in this world. We call Jesus a liar. We call Solomon a liar who says everything under the sun is meaningless. Let us all look to that which is above the sun as our motivation. That which is already ours. Which gives us the motivation to work and to speak graciously. Amen. Let's take a few moments. Reflect on your failures and then apply the gospel to them. Use your weakness and apply the greatness of Christ to that weakness and see the change that could have come. Let's take a few moments and reflect. And then we'll stand and say the Apostles' Creed together. Let's stand together and declare boldly that which Christians believe and have always believed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. you as sinners. We come to you as those who speak often foolishly with selfish ambitions with attempts to look great. We often work in ways that are for our own benefit to hoard wealth, to achieve status. Not always, God, but we pray that you would forgive us when we act that way, when we live that way. You're so good to us. You've blessed us immensely through Christ, God. Allow us to dwell and to think on those blessings that you've given. We thank you for your glory. We praise you for your justice. Like a king who rules righteously, we thank you. God, grant us to live in a way through your spirit that is acceptable to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for Lithuania. We pray for this country. We pray for its leaders. We pray for protection over her. We ask that you would... Cause us to live in peace, God. God, use us in this city. Use us in this country. Use its leaders to bring prosperity and justice. We pray that you would protect us from the virus, COVID-19. We pray that you would give us hope, that you would cause us not to be fearful. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And lastly, God, we pray for the world. We pray for its leaders. We pray for its governments. We ask that democracy would rule, that people would be heard, that people would receive that which they deserve in terms of justice and safety. We pray for those who have been affected by natural disasters and war. That you would comfort them, that you would use us and our resources to bless them. Grant us hearts of compassion, God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Let's pray in the words which Christ left us, as indicated on our sheet. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our last hymn this morning is 464. A mighty fortress is our God, if you would sing. 464. hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.